0: Well, hey, and welcome to episode three of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down to talk about Paul's conversion in Acts chapter nine. We point out some hidden gems in Romans chapter one, verses one through four we talk about the prophecy and reality of the crucifixion of Jesus between Psalm chapter 22 and Matthew chapter 27. And lastly, we wrestle through the age old question about faith and obedience and how to know the difference. If you haven't yet listened to the message from Sunday, August 14th, I highly encourage you doing so before you move on with this episode. Well, thanks again for being here and I hope you enjoy. Hey, so I figured it'd be fun to start today uh, with just a question. Uh, I'm interested to hear your guys' answer on this. Um, And here it is. Have you guys ever experienced something that you would consider life-changing? Like a life-changing moment or event, point in time? What comes to mind?
1: Well, I'm a pessimist by nature. (laughs) And so my first thought was... My parents divorced. So my parents divorced when I was three. So there's mine. That's where I go automatically. So that's a yeah nice buzzkill to start the podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah. He really is. You could, if y'all could have seen his face there, it was like he knew what he wanted to say, but he just didn't know if he should say it, but he said it.
0: Yep. He held back for a minute. <laughs> he did. And then now we're here.
2: He, he did. Well, I will. Do you want to go any further no, about that? Uh, that's enough,
0: right? That's everybody knows. That, that's everybody. enough.
2: Yes. Well, I was going to say, so I had opportunity this weekend to go and do a wedding, um, but so I made me think of my own wedding and how life-changing that was for me. And really the moment that I thought of was, so when you're the pastor doing the wedding, when you make everybody stand up for the groom or, or for the bride to come down the aisle, everybody turns and looks at the bride, was well, a pastor, you have a really cool vantage point of seeing the groom's face. Like, it's just something that's really awesome to get to to kind of see and just the look of excitement. And, and it made me think of my own, right? Like the I saw what was going to be my wife now on that day coming down the aisle, right? It just is something that's forever locked in my mind of this life changing. On this day, Josh's life changed drastically, right? It's just a really cool uh, thing to think about. I'm sure those of you listening, if if you're married, especially you guys, you remember that. You remember everyone else, but you were just like kind of awestruck probably, right? Just getting to yeah. peek at that. So next time you're at a wedding, just turn away from the bride for a second and peek at the groom. It's a really cool time.
0: Yeah, that is good. And as we were chatting about this, I just thought about the week of Courtney and I's wedding when we got married, which was small, informal, real, real small wedding. But within the course of that week, um, there were a number of events that – altered the trajectory of our lives. One of them was getting married, right? Just that that moment of of coming together forever. Uh, but then also Courtney and I both started brand new jobs within that same week. We moved to Prescott officially within that same mm-hmm. week. Uh, and actually today, this is Monday the 15th is Courtney and I's eighth anniversary. So I'm nice. just i thinking a little bit about, oh man, eight years ago was Chaos for us. It was complete and utter chaos. We were start, Courtney started her teaching career. I start I jumped into you know full time ministry. Uh, we moved to Prescott. We're trying to figure that out. And uh, yeah, it was completely life changing. The other thing that came to mind for me uh, was when our son Porter was born. Um, mm. So we've got a five year old son. He's our our only uh, only child. And I just remember the moment that he was born. Um, I'm not a very emotional person. That's probably going to surprise both of you guys. <laughs> I'm not a crier by any means. Like, I'm just not super, you know, emotive. Uh, when Porter was born, I bawled like a baby, like wow. for minutes at a time. It was it was weird. It's this weird sensation. Um, and for me, that was a very distinct moment before he was, you know, physically born. My life was different than it is now. 100%. right? Yep. So those are kind of the two things that I... I thought of when I thought of, man, life-changing moments that I've experienced in in my life.
2: Yeah. Would you like to add anything happy, Jason?
0: Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) How about moving to Prescott? So there you go. Thinking about getting out of student ministry, Mm. that I did that for 10 years, and then getting to come be a pastor, lead pastor, preach every week here at this church in Prescott, Arizona. And like most people, outside of Arizona. I'd never heard of Prescott. Now, obviously, all the Californians have heard of Prescott, but east of here, I don't think nobody knows of Prescott until you showed up here, until I showed up here. Didn't know anybody. And um, so that would be the, obviously, a life-changing thing for our family. I mean, it changed everything. So,
0: yeah. The reason I wanted to start here today was because we're, right, kicking off this series in Romans. We're talking about verse one through seven this past Sunday and and Paul, right? We're talking about the apostle Paul, who is he? What's his background? What's his story? We got a little bit into that this past Sunday. We heard out of Acts 26, a bit of his description of, of how Jesus transformed his life. Um, but the reality is not many of us have those experiences. I, I know for me, My faith journey uh, started when I was really, really young. It was a little confused in and out of, you know, being born and baptized Catholic into a number of different denominations. But we were all kind of always around this idea of church. And then, you know, when I was a teenager, it became very relational, and there were some relationships that that drew me in to Jesus, and ultimately ended up being baptized. But but Jesus was familiar to me in that moment that I was baptized and and you know really started living on mission for him so it was a it wasn't a quick you know in a moment transformation for me it was kind of long and it had many facets to it Jason I know your story is probably similar you were pretty young when you were introduced to to the church
1: yeah it's my story is a little interesting so my family like I said, my parents divorced when I was three. Um, and f- from that, um, my, I was living with my mother primarily, and she was, um, decided to take a break from any kind of church religion stuff. So there was a, most of my childhood, it was not a significant part of our childhood. It just wasn't. Um, I always tell the story. There was a, I remember uh, a um, an Easter morning. I, I always felt this calling um, slash fear of the Lord. I felt like I needed to be in church. And I remember going to my mother one Easter Sunday and waking her up and saying, hey, it's Easter, can we go to church? And she says, um, no, we're not going to be one of those families that go Christmas and Easter, go back to bed. I mean, it was like that. So I didn't have that. But to your point, I I always did have this desire to be in the presence of God. I always had this desire to be in the Word of God. Um, There's a Christian radio station from the little town I grew up in called Harrodsburg. You take Versailles Road over to Lexington, and there was a little radio station uh, on the left-hand side of the road called WJMM. And back in the 80s and 90s, Christian radio didn't have music. It was just old guys preaching. That was all that was on it. (laughs) And I would listen like to these old guys preaching on the transistor radio in my bed like that was the that's funny
0: weird jason that that he sounds can't. like it might be better than christian radio today like with the <laughs> hey, <Franka>. music
1: right <laughs> Jay vernon <laughs> mcgee baby come on uh so so yes so i didn't have a uh most of my childhood was not connected into the church um but there was always this desire to be in a relationship with god so um I didn't do the church camp thing, none of that stuff as a kid, and so it was a little bit, a little bit different than yeah. what my kids are experiencing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's kind of it. Got me <clears throat> thinking this morning, right? What, uh, obviously, we see this this deep contrast in the life of the Apostle Paul. Um, arguably, right, one of the, the most influential humans for the faith to ever walk the earth, probably aside from Jesus. Right? Um, and it's this night and day in a moment, Jesus showed up and transformed his life. And I I've always, you know, I know people like that. Um, I've always looked upon that idea a little bit with a little bit of envy, like, oh, how what a cool story. People that come to faith later in life. I see the way too that that their faith plays out differently, which I think is really, really interesting. But then this is a conversation we've had also, you know, my story where I was at least somewhat connected to church from a pretty early age is for sure the story I want for my son, Mm -hmm. right? I want him to know nothing but the love and grace of Jesus in his life through me by proxy. And then ultimately to to take a step to own that faith when he's a little bit older. So I just think that's an interesting thought.
2: Yeah, no, I think, you know, my story is similar to Jason. I was actually talking to... Started my wife last night about this. Like I consciously don't have any recollection of a kid of going to church, not Christmas, not Easter. Like I I don't remember any of that, and I remember going at eleven. Started going with some friends down the street because of my grandma, and you know, kind of got hooked and and in it. Um, I do remember though, like the Lord meeting me by after my freshman year of college and being like, hey, it's it's time to get back doing what I've called you to do. So I have like a very clear faith change of like the yeah. Lord called me out of living a hedonistic lifestyle into like, stop that. It's time to do this, right? I journeyed away and kind of wandered and was kind of prodigal, but remember opening up my Bible and going, Phew. but as a kid, yeah, definitely no concept of, of church experience, none of that, but definitely college years. I have a, a marked spiritual, like, Oh yeah, I met the Lord in his word. Very clearly audibly as clear as I could hear the Lord just say a few words to me. And it was yeah. life-changing, right? Like I always go back to that moment when I'm in a season of doubt or a season of struggle or season, of whatever, and going, Hey, the Lord has called me to this specifically it was this realm of being a pastor. But, um, even just faith in general, I think. I think a lot of people probably listening have those moments, right? Where yeah. they, like you said, especially if they came to faith older, which has been really cool that we've seen just side note, as a church here lately, like some people older in their faith mm-hmm. or older in their life coming to faith and being brand new, right? It's really, really mm-hmm. I- exciting. And so I was, Paul is definitely that, That right? Like, like Jason kind of touched on just a little bit, the I was going to kill followers of the way. Mm-hmm. Now I am a servant, or as he said, a, you know, bond servant, slave of Christ. How remarkably different. I mean, we're talking, how many years was that probably, Jason?
1: Um, Probably between his conversion to the writing of Romans is uh, maybe 20 years, probably 15 to 20.
2: Yeah. So it's not like he's the 70-year-old guy, right? Right. No, <laughs> Who's no, no, been no. doing this forever. Like, that's no. pretty, that's a pretty short time. Yeah. 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 Right. So just. You know? but his ministry started immediately.
1: I mean, right. he doesn't write Romans till later, Right. but his, I mean, it was within two, three years that he's getting the right hand of fellowship with Barnabas, right? right. I mean, so it was pretty quick. Yeah, Yeah. love that. So Jason- Can I pause yeah. for just a second? I just want to jump on, let's celebrate, like during our 11 o'clock service, you were talking about somebody coming to faith and having that moment. I think about the, the Lady D who was baptized yeah. yesterday. So for those who weren't, in church this weekend at our 11 o'clock service. We had a lady who came up last week um, to Pastor's Point and said, hey, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And our pastoral staff, somebody met with her and talked with her and learned her story, and she she met Jesus in prison. Mm. And she gets out of out of jail, and she starts attending the church, and she's like, I'm ready. I'm all in for this thing. And so, yeah, so it is that moment. So she's going to have a very— before and after yes. story that she's gonna to get to tell in her life. And yeah. so it is it is a cool moment. And like you, I do get a little bit of jealousy. Yeah. When you hear a story like that, yeah. you are like
0: that that testimony, that'll preach. Yeah, it's right. powerful. Uh, yeah, no, it's again you can very visibly see the the from darkness to light yes. power of Jesus in the lives of of people, and again, I can see <laughs> if I flesh it out a little bit more in my own life, like I could just, I could see statistically probably what I should have been, and I can see, oh, that's darkness to light. What I am now, how I'm leading my family now, what my marriage yeah. looks like now, right? Um, so I can, if you spend a little bit of time digging into it, obviously we see the power of Jesus in our lives and uh, and the way His grace upon us has played out, but it's a little different, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. It is a cool a cool thing, which again, I just keep going back. There's so many people within our midst who are listening to this, who have those stories. And those are the things that people want to hear. Like that's the, the change. That's why Paul talks about his change so much. Why? Because it gives hope to other people that it is actually possible that this Jesus thing can change my life right that is the story that we saw yesterday she believed and now she tells others who are in that same situation like if she walks into a prison she can go i've been there mm-hmm. i've done that let me tell you what jesus did not to say life is easy or faith makes everything go away mm-hmm. but the hope she now has is so different right like that's the power of this that's why it's so cool that that you brought in all those stories of paul him Talking multiple times in the book of Acts about hey, this is this is who I was. And if you read any of his epistles, like he just tells you that. And for a lot of people, we go, I don't want to talk about those things. That is the opposite of what we see with Paul. And if anybody would be like, I probably shouldn't mention this stuff, you would think it would be that, right? Like it, but it helped, it helped his journey and it helped other people go, Oh, that's that's possible for me too, right? So
1: I do want to, I didn't get to talk about uh, Romans nine very much. I just kind of had to jump over part of the, maybe one of the Acts Acts nine, I'm sorry. Acts chapter nine, where Paul tells his own story, where the story is recorded. Luke writes Paul's story there in, in Acts chapter nine. One of the things that I like to point out, and we talked about it um, early on. And again, it just, there's just not enough time to put everything in. What's interesting, and this is, this is for all of us, who are believers, we need to hear this today. When you think about Jesus coming to connect with Paul on the road to Damascus, Jesus did not share the gospel with Paul. If you go back and you read the story, and you can you can do this, here's what Jesus said. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask, oh, sorry, back up. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This is verse five in Acts chapter nine. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting now, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I think there's this idea that Jesus saved Paul in that moment, shared the gospel with him. That's not what happened. Jesus introduces himself and says, here's what I want you to do. Go to Damascus and you're going to find a guy uh, there in Damascus and he's going to be the one. And so Jesus then, that's where I jumped ahead there. I was reading the red letters. Jesus then goes to a guy named Ananias and says, Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him and restore his sight. So go to this man, verse 15, he is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. So Jesus sets up the meeting. Jesus doesn't share the gospel. He sets up the meeting. He tells Paul, Saul in this text, Saul, there's going to be a guy named Ananias coming. Ananias, go to Judas's house and ask for Saul. He connects the dots between these two guys, but the gospel is shared from Ananias. To Saul. And that's that was the conversation that brought Paul to faith. It was, it was Jesus setting up this meeting. And so we have to. I, I shared this a couple of months ago. Like, we got to stop just praying for God to save people. Like that doesn't happen. Jesus never just goes and shares the gospel and saves people miraculously. He, he always uses people to save people, even Paul. It was Ananias who was the one who connected the dots, shared the gospel, laid his hands on him, prayed for him, baptized him, and and helped him to know what it would look like to follow after Jesus. So we can't just sit back and pray, God, save these people. We're praying, God, set up the meeting. I mean, that's what Jesus does for, for Paul, and it's what happens all throughout. Uh, again, you think about the Ethiopian eunuch who is... Uh, uh, reading his scroll, can't figure it out. The Holy Spirit says, hey, uh, Simon, go. And I think it was Simon. Philip. Philip. Philip, there you go. Simon's in nine. He, yeah. Hey, go, Philip, and tell him about the gospel. And he
2: runs. He sets up he the runs meeting. That's to right. the cherry. I love that piece of the story. <laughs> he runs.
1: But it's, it's always God uses people to share the gospel with people. And so we have a role to play in the lives of other people. Uh, Jesus sets up the meeting. Jesus prepares the heart, but it is always people sharing the gospel with people uh, that brings them into the kingdom.
0: And that, I mean, that's even the design, right, from Matthew 28. That is the exact design that Jesus, reincarnate Jesus, lays out to his disciples, right? Go make disciples. That's, that's his commission to that. Go do this work. Mm-hmm. I'm commissioning you to go build these relationships, talk to your coworkers, do the things that, you know, we need to be doing to go reach people for the namesake of Jesus. Yeah. So it's yeah. the
2: design. Yeah. I mean, yesterday it's going back to the lady who got baptized. D. I mean, there are two other ladies in the room with her that were supporting her and helping her and helping her in her journey of what it now looks like and talking about, okay, we're going to start a Bible study at our house to begin going through the Roman stuff next week, you know, all this stuff of like, that was the connection, right? It's not just about, like you said, it's these people have been integral in sharing their faith and now being a part of her story. that's going to help her grow. I always love the Ananias piece. Then when he goes to Saul, he calls him brother. Mm -hmm. Like that piece of it for me is so cool. Paul, This guy, because he he tells Jesus, like, are you sure? This guy's killing people. He's got actually papers to arrest me. And he's like, no, no, I need you to do this, that verse you read. And so when he first goes to him, he puts his, I vision like he puts his hand on his shoulders, like, hey, brother Saul. Like he sees in him what Saul doesn't see yet, even himself. right? And that's why we need people, right? And we see that because we, again, have this life change in our own lives of this, we are markedly different, whether it's, huge or whether it is like, no, man, who I should be is not that because of Christ. And so there are other people in my journey who saw something in the potential or whatever that I could be God's uh, servant, right? And they helped call that out in me. And that's what I always see of Ananias doing for for Saul. And again, we reap the benefits of that, mm-hmm. but he, was, he saw before he did. It's mm-hmm. such a cool piece of how God uses us to do those kinds of things. And it's super humbling. Right, but also hopefully um, convicting, and it puts a little sense of urgency. And yeah, us. should inspire us. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that. I think that's. Um, yeah, I love. I love accident. I just love hearing the story of. Hey, what drives for the rest of the the epistles, the rest of of the writings of Paul that we see in all of the New Testament this is the origin story of man the faith that he had the humility that he had uh, throughout the rest of his life so i just i just love this text um shifting gears a little bit let's talk about romans romans chapter 1 um i know we want to spend a little bit of time on specifically verses some things in verses 1 through 4 that we see that we didn't have a ton of time to dig into on sunday um and most notably uh, what we learn about the Trinity throughout this text?
1: Yeah, so there's there are again we talked about this early on. There's so much in this, in the in the I keep wanting to call it the Gospel of Romans. Maybe we should. Maybe that's the <laughs> the the Book of Romans. Uh, so just a couple of things. Again, there's too much to put into any one sermon. So I just want to throw out a couple of things that didn't make the the sermon, but are just really cool. Uh, teaching moments. Um, You mentioned the first one, like we get to see here in the introduction of the book of Romans, the Trinity, like we see verse one, he says, set apart for the gospel of God, verse three, regarding the son, verse four, who through the spirit. So we've got the God, the father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all talked about as playing a role in this gospel right from the beginning. So it is the gospel of God regarding the Son through the Spirit, Um, and so again, it's just one of those places in Scripture where you you get to see all three of them uh, laid out, connected together, and what's cool is in this first four verses— Many scholars believe that this was actually, he, what he's describing here was actually an ancient creed uh, that the early church would have been uh, speaking over and to one another that this gospel he promised through the prophets and the Holy Scripture regarding his son, who is to earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection. So this was a a synopsis, a quick telling of the gospel That speaks both to the humanity of Jesus, so that is the um, earthly life descendant of David peace, but also the divinity of Jesus. The spirit of holiness appointed the Son of God in power by the resurrection of the dead. So, you get to see the humanity and the divinity of Jesus right here in these texts. So, this is a picture of the early creed, and it seems as if Paul is affirming that creed uh, to the Roman church as he's writing out Um, this introduction. So there's so many of these little nuanced pieces of just amazing textual wisdom uh, that that sometimes we can get uh, lose it just because we don't know the history or the background of this stuff.
0: Well, and especially within this specific text, right? It's a bit of a run-on sentence, right? So when you're reading it, man, it's really easy to just try to figure to breeze through it without actually slowing down and trying to figure out what is Paul actually saying from this line to this line to this line? Because we're just Mm -hmm. trying to read it as as if we would read a standard sentence. So being able to slow down and kind of dissect, like literally word for word, line for line, what is Paul really saying here? Love that.
1: Yeah, it's really good. And again, you can pick them apart. The the way that he... (sighs) The regarding his son is contrasted with the life uh, the spirit of holiness the uh the earthly life as opposed to the spirit life I mean there's so many pieces that that kind of reflect off of one another um, I mean it's so good um, but there's like I said there's just way too much that you get into a sermon there
2: <laughs> definitely there is a yeah, there's a lot of love the just even already the Hey, the resurrection piece. Yeah. Right. Resurrection from the dead, right? Already there are rumors happening that they the body's stolen. Mm-hmm. Like we get that in, yeah. uh, in the gospels in the end of it. We'll just tell people that. And so Paul, in four verses into the letter. Yeah. Right. Like this is what our hope hinges on, right? The like that Jesus died and actually died, but also was resurrected, right? Yeah. That that language is a part of this. And too, I love that he calls him Jesus Christ our Lord, mm-hmm. which Again, is the tie in off of the Caesar piece, right? So it's already cool that that's, you know, four verses in, and you know, he's already like, he's, if anyone who's a Roman citizen reading this, like you said yesterday, is like, no, no, we have a Lord. Caesar is is Caesar. Yeah. Yeah. And so Paul calls him that, right? And just such a, and what that means, that Jesus is Lord, right?
0: Right. And contextually, just already creating some of that cultural tension, right, that always exists within our our faith in Jesus. But it is cool to see that within the context of, you know, this history of the gospel, the gospel of Caesar and uh, and seeing how Paul's using that to help articulate this point. Yeah, that's good. I do want to share one quick um,
1: one quick thought here. Uh, Connected to verse four, because this can kind of be a stumbling block. And so some of you may be in a life group this week and somebody gets to reading this, like you say, Josh, and you start reading this and you think, oh, what is, wait, what? So look at verse four. It says, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God. And it's like, wait, he was appointed. Does that mean he wasn't the son of God? And then God, like, appointed? What does that mean? And so there have been some who got get hung up on this, and so I just want to make sure that we, we point out for people, bring a little bit of clarity, hopefully, that what happened in this moment, it says he was appointed the Son of God. What it's amplifying is the next two words. He was appointed the Son of God in power. That's that's the distinction. He was appointed Son of God in power by his resurrection. The, the resurrection did not make Jesus the Son of God. He was always the Son of God from the beginning, eternally. But what happened with the resurrection was he became the son of God in power. Before he came in humility and lowness, he came as a baby onto the earth, uh, made to stay alive by a teenage girl, born in a barn, like it was lowly that he came. But after the resurrection, he is established in his glory and his power, and and so that's what the resurrection did. It didn't change him from being the son of God or make him the son of God, but it did. There was a transition in that moment that he went from being the lowly son of God to being the son of God in power. And when we see him now, we're going to see him in all of his glory. When he returns, he's not coming back as a as a carpenter's son. He's coming back as the son of God. And so we just want to make sure that we recognize the fact that he was not made the son of God by the resurrection. He's always been the son of God. He was made the son of God in power. And so I think that's a good distinction just to make so that if you're having these conversations in your life group, nobody gets confused there.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do want to uh, take a, a couple of minutes just to dig in a little bit further into verse two as well, right? Because essentially what Paul's saying here is, hey, what I'm telling you is nothing new, right? Right. What I'm telling you, uh, this gospel was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. and we hit on a couple of those uh, texts out of the Old Testament from Isaiah and a number of other ones. Um, but I know we didn't get to all of them, Jason, so I want to give us a little bit of time here to dig in a little bit deeper into this idea of the the prophecies of Jesus in which Paul's now saying, "Hey, that's the guy who sent me.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite, and I threw it out at the eight, and I just invited people. I'm like, hey, look, if you want to you see my favorite, just take Psalm 22 and lay it beside Matthew 27. So Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. Everybody knew that from the beginning, even in the times of uh, uh, before Christ. Everybody understood this was a messianic psalm. And so one of the sayings of the cross that Jesus gave us was— um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we all know that 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 line. What we might not know what many people may not know is actually that is the first verse of psalm twenty two The cool thing about that is psalm twenty two wasn't just a verse, it was a song. So think about it this way like if i if I say to you, um that I've got friends in low places. Carth Brooks. Oh, that's right. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna sing. You're gonna you're <laughs> gonna finish the song in your head, right? That's what you do. Or if I say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, you can't help but finish the song in your head. So we that's what we do. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, right? You're you're gonna finish the line in your head. That's what happens when you do a song. So when Jesus says this phrase from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every Jewish person in that room who was looking forward, or I'm sorry, not in the room, in that crowd who is looking forward to the Messiah, they all know Psalm 22. It was a song. If you look at the subheading of Psalm 22, it says, For the director of music to the tune of Doe in the morning. It was a song. Jesus sings the first line, and they're going to finish the rest of it in their head. So that's the backdrop. When you're putting Psalm 22 beside Matthew 27, you gotta, you got to imagine that moment where Jesus sings out this first line of Psalm 22. And then all of a the sudden, they're, they're beginning to, this, to to finish the song in their head. And I just want to point out a few of the things that Matthew 27, that's where Jesus quotes this line in Matthew 27. And I want to show you a few of them from Matthew, I'm sorry, from Psalm 22. So I'm going to try to connect a few dots here and you can see what I'm talking about. So look at, uh, so uh, Matthew 27, verse 27, it says, they gathered the whole company, oh, Let me back up. Let me start in Psalm 22, because these are the prophecies. Look at verse 7 of Psalm 22. It says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. That's Psalm 22, verse 7. So you hear that. They're hurling insults. They're mocking me. They're shaking their heads. And then look at what Matthew 27, 39 says. It says, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. And so you see this same, this exact same verbiage. Look at verse 8 of Psalm 22. It says, the people are saying, he trusts in the Lord, they said, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Then you flip Matthew 27, 43, says, he trusts in the Lord. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. Psalm 22, verse 12 says, many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. So picture these strong people encircling the person from Psalm 22. Matthew 27, 27 says, they gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. Psalm 22, verse 15 says, my mouth is dried up like a pot sheared and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. This one actually comes from John where he asked for a bit of vinegar there on the cross to to, to quench his thirst. Uh, Look at Psalm 22, uh, starting in verse 16. It says, they pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. That's Psalm 22, 16, 17, 18. And then look what Matthew 27, 35 says. Um, it says, there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with golf. That points us back to that moment where he's got a pot-sheared tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth, but he refused to drink it. Verse 35, when they had crucified him, that's a direct picture of they pierced my hands and my feet. And again, in Psalm 22, crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet, but he writes down, they pierced my hands and my feet. Matthew 27 said they crucified him. And then what did they do? Well, Psalm 22, 18 says, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And that's exactly what Psalm, I'm sorry, Matthew 35 says, they divided his clothes by casting lots. And you could just see this over and over and over again. So, you lay these two, and it's this perfect picture of what happened at the crucifixion of Jesus, that all of this stuff was prophesied. It was spoken of in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the new. And so, I just love the fact that we have a God who wants to make sure that we have the ability to connect the dots. This didn't just happen. It wasn't circumstantial. It was intentional. This is something that God planned beforehand to accomplish.
0: Yeah, I, I love that too, because there's so many examples in the Old Testament that are prophecies of what's to come, right? And I think for us, it's just this helpful reminder of the meta-narrative of scripture, right? All things are pointing to the grace of Jesus, right? The, the gospel of Jesus. And this is a good reminder for me, man, as I'm, as I'm digging through the Old Testament, what's the filter, what's the lens in which I'm using to, to help better understand this scripture? Oh, well, it's pointing to Jesus. Yeah, all of them are always pointing to Jesus. We, get, we, we need to come with that as our default,
1: um, that Jesus is always the heroes in these stories.
2: Right. Yeah. And two, right? Like that's the role of the Holy Spirit, right? Like after Jesus comes back and he's talking with the guys on the road to Aramaic, right? And he starts explaining them all the scriptures. And it's because of that that they connected the dots, right? That even then, like you read through Matthew, he uses all he's the one who uses all of the text, right? That he even begins to look through with the Holy Spirit of, oh, that's what was happening. Oh, that's what they were saying. Right. And so part of it, it does go, oh, I could see maybe why some of the Jewish people missed it, right? And and they didn't see it because again, afterwards, they began to connect the dots. So many times in John's Gospels, it was like, oh, then they understood when Jesus when when he did all of those things at the end, then it started to make sense to them. Right. Which is cool while we have, like you've said over and over as you've been teaching that we have two Testaments, yeah. like we have them both for a reason, that the New Testament isn't greater than the Old Testament, right? It's not those pieces of it, right? That they, that God has preserved both of these so that, like you said, we can have this story before Jesus even shows up to go, this is the God who always had this great plan. Like it wasn't an accident, right? And it's just so helpful for, I think for people's faith when you think about it like that. It wasn't just, He showed up on the scene and nobody was expecting it. Like, no, if they were looking for it, they would have really seen it. And then I love the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate for us all of those pieces in God's word.
0: Yeah, that's good. Well, we did get one question as we kind of move through this text around uh, Romans uh, chapter one, verse six and seven. This question was sent in by Mariella. Thanks for for sending this in. And here's what it says. It says, is the universal call of the gospel, by that I mean the call sent out through evangelism and missions, the same call that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter one, verse six and seven?
1: Uh, thank you, Mariella. I would... I would agree with that. I think hundred percent. Yes. I think when he, when Paul is writing in verses six and seven, that he is, um, has a call for all the Gentiles to do to the obedience that comes from faith. I think it means to all the Gentiles. So yes, I do think it is a universal call. Um, I think the reason you may be asking this, you're a very smart for those who don't know Mariella, she is a super bright lady, that there are some who would say that it's not universal, um, that God has a specific group of people in mind, and we're going to get into that, our more Reformed brothers and sisters, uh, as we go through the Gospels. I'm sorry, why do I keep saying the Gospel? The Gospel of everyone in the book of Romans, like this is going to come up, that there are some who will say, no, it's not a universal call. Uh, It is only specifically for people who have been predestined for salvation. That's the only people who receive this call. Um, But I don't see that. And again, part of it we'll talk about a little bit next week as we get into verse 16, where it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, like that Everyone, everyone, everyone who believes, that it, which is where we got our series title, by the way, it is the gospel for everyone. It's right there in verse 16. Everyone who believes is invited into this thing. So um, so uh, to answer your question, Mariella, I think yes, I think it is the universal call. Paul specifically feels the, the mandate from the Lord Jesus to offer it to the Gentiles and to all of them to all of them, which is why, again, we talked about it a little bit last week. His ultimate mission is not to go to Rome. They've already got the gospel in Rome. He's trying to get to Spain because there are people in Spain who haven't heard the gospel. He wants to get to Spain to, to share the gospel. So I think it is to all. I think it is a universal. Everybody gets a chance to hear the gospel, to come to a place of belief, and uh, to be invited into the kingdom.
0: Yeah, yeah good. Really good. So that leads us into what's next for us. How how do we take this text, Romans 1, 1 through 7, uh, and how do we allow it to shape and change our lives uh, this week and, and in the weeks to come? And I've got kind of one question around this. We spend a, a fair bit of time towards the tail end of the sermon on this idea that Paul brings up in verse 5 about obedience that comes from faith, uh, obedience that that produces, or sorry, faith that produces the fruit of obedience in our lives. And I guess my my question is, how do we know if we have faith that produces obedience, or if we are trying to obey our way to a greater faith? How do we know the difference between those two things?
2: Man, that's a question, boy. That's which, a good one, isn't it? Which I'm sure a lot of people are wondering.
1: Right. Yeah. I And I don't know that I've got a really good answer. I think I think that is a a very insightful. One of the things that, that we're going to see by the time we get to Romans chapter two is the insidiousness of religion, that there is this thing in us that thinks that we can behave our way in. And if we do the right rules, it's going to get us in. And so Paul's going to address that in in Romans chapter two, and it is insidious that that somehow it makes me better because I know the rules and I follow the rules, and that's what's going to get me in. And he's going to he's going to spend uh, half a chapter, just actually a chapter and a half, bashing that idea that somehow because you know the rules and you think you follow the rules, it's going to get you in. So, to the quick answer, I don't know if there is a quick answer. I think it just has to keep coming back to this heart check for us, Brendan, that we, we say I'm saved by grace and I am not going to be able to earn this. I can't, I can't get there on my own. Um, It is by grace that we are saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. And I think, but again, I think that's not the struggle for most of us. I think a lot of people in church, well, we get the grace part, but we disconnect it from the obedience part. And so we, I think in the Western church specifically that we want to have the grace piece and want to ignore the obedience piece. There are some who want to obey their way in, but I think the the bigger majority of the people we're going to bump into in the quad city area are probably going the other way. I think they're probably so um reliance the wrong word. They are they are so in with the grace that they don't they don't live a life that actually reflects the faith that they believe or claim that they believe. And so um I don't know how to answer the question, how do you make sure that it's obedience from faith and not faith, uh, for obedience. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how to differentiate. I just don't think they, they both go together. We just got to make sure that they're both together.
2: Yeah. I would say I, I start thinking back to what we started with, right? Like all of our stories, like I don't necessarily try to follow the rules to get in because I didn't have any rules of faith. <laughs> so when Jesus came to rescue me, like it was just incredible, gracious, right? But maybe for those who have grown up in church, I, you know, obviously Brendan mentioned just real, br- real briefly, growing up in a Catholic background, right? There's a lot of rules that you follow to make sure that your faith is what it's supposed to be. And so there's like this checklist of things that you have to do or don't do. Obviously growing up in the South, a lot of our, Uh, SBC brothers, right? There's a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts, right? And it becomes maybe more about rules. So maybe for some people who are listening, maybe that was your faith in the beginning. It was more just about these rules that you were to follow. And as long as you're really good and follow all of the rules and do all of the right things, you're in, which is why, again, if we look back to Paul, he says, of anyone who can boast, I've done everything right, but it's all rubbish, right? He says in Philippians, right? All these different times throughout his epistles, he's like, I did everything right and followed all of the rules, and those rules didn't get me in. So I do think there are people who probably have grown up in church and have this understanding of like, oh, I had, when I was a kid, I had to do all these really good things as a boy and girl. And so it does. I think that's where they're struggling, right? I I, I think they just don't know how to go Am I just following the rules because I'm supposed to be following the rules? Am I just genuinely doing what God calls me to do because I'm so gracious for what he has done for me, right? And so, again, I think some of it is just maybe that family background. It just gets in there and it sets in and we can't help it, right? Yeah,
1: but I think maybe you just hit on it and have a little bit of clarification for me even. Um, it all comes down to the motivation, right? Mm. It's all about the motivation. It is about I'm not being obedient to try to earn something. I'm obedient because I have been given something. I'm not I'm not trying to obey to get God to love me. I'm obeying because God loves me. And so maybe that's the differentiation is just it's the motivation. It maybe from the outside they look the same, but the motivation is is what drives
2: the thing. Well, how many people do we may talk to as pastors, all of us who are like, well, God won't do this thing for me and I've done all of this? Yeah. How many and how many listening? That may be your response, like, I've done all this right. Why is my life like this? As if God is the magic genie that we rub for the three wishes, instead of God, I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm just gonna keep following you, I'm gonna keep obeying because you tell me to do these things and it doesn't matter if I feel like it but how many of the the default is not that we in a way we're like well if I do X y and z God, God owes me God owes me and yeah. he will and that's where I would say your obedience has come first yeah right like that's a very clear thing so I guess it's just asking that question of why are you doing what you're doing right like honestly why do you serve yeah. why do you you know we have a generation of people who go and help the, the homeless and we're taking selfies, right? Which makes me just want to just punch people. But just side <laughs> side note, sorry guys. But but again, it's like we want our self glorification instead of just going and doing the thing Jesus calls us to do, right? Like all some of that kind of stuff. Like why are we doing that stuff? Is it for my glory, or is it because Jesus said go do these things and right. we just go do those things?
0: Yeah. So checking our motivations, checking you know if we have any underlying expectations, right? If we're doing the right things, then the X, Y, and Z is going to happen. Um, but then also, you know, reconciling that with this idea of just living a life that is surrendered mm. to Jesus, right, as a result of the, the work of his gospel in our lives. I love, and this, we don't have to necessarily get into this, but I would just encourage anyone that's kind of trying to wrestle with this, this issue um, of faith and deeds and works and obedience and, and surrendered living, Uh, James in James chapter two, right? It has 15 verses. Uh, I think it's 14 through the rest of the chapter all around this idea of faith and deeds. And I think it articulates it well. But more than anything that's said there, it gives me a little bit of comfort that this is an age old issue of faith if James is discussing it right in in James chapter two. uh, And what we know about James is
1: it was probably the earliest New Testament letter, by the way. It's like the first one that was written and they're already talking about this tension between my faith and my works and can you have one without the other so right to your point yeah this was an early conversation
0: yep so if you're if you're wrestling with this listening to this podcast here just go go read James 14 through uh, the end of the end of the chapter um chapter two. Uh, and not that it's going to answer your question. I'm not sure it will, but at least it'll give you some, uh, some tools to wrestle through it with.
2: I will say too, Brendan touched on something and Jason had touched on, it was his first takeaway in the application is verse six, right? You have been called to belong to Christ Jesus. And I love how you said, it's not the person in front of you or beside you. It's not your husband or your wife. But when I really believe that, like really believe that, then I'm a part of this, right? That that changes how I respond and what I do, right? Like that you said, when you're sure of your faith, when I'm sure that Jesus has rescued me, Mm -hmm. I belong, I fit. This is the thing. Well, then man, I'm, if that's my default setting, it's so much different. Right. Which again, I think your point, there are a lot of people who may have grown up maybe and had church experience where they didn't feel like they belonged because they did X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm and it was those things that disqualified them instead of this story of no 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 it's, it's actually not about you or anything you've done because if it's left of that you're you're done anyways but it's about what god through jesus has done for you and when you're sure of that like really really sure of that then it, i think the obedience is natural i i would i think just in my own life at least it's it's much more easier so i love that that was your first application takeaway because making them a mistake, there are people who've been sitting in those chairs maybe for a while who really don't feel like they belong. So what do they do? What What's really the – what for them? Well, until you can belong, I don't think you can <laughs> – obedience is always going to be challenging. So how do we help them take those kind of next steps?
1: Yeah, we – yeah, you need to feel like you belong before you can behave, right? And, again, we can, we're not going to behave our way into belonging we belong our way into the right behaviors. And so, yeah, the the next step is find somebody, have a conversation. Again, just like what we talked about with Paul and Ananias, somebody who can articulate the gospel to help connect the dots for you, uh, whether it's one of our pastoral staff, somebody in your in your life group, uh, a friend. Again, you mentioned the two ladies that were with Dee this weekend at her baptism. There are people who are around you that want to help to make sure – to, to share. Hey, no, no, no. This is for you. It's for you. It's not just for everybody else. They didn't earn something because of their good behavior. That's not how this works. Jesus earned it for them. It is for you. The good news is for you. So uh, it's you got to connect with a person. So sharing that, again, whether it's with one of our staff, whether it's a close friend, whether it's a family member, mom or dad, there's somebody in your life who loves and follows Jesus, and they would love to help you take that next
0: step. Yeah, hundred percent. I love that. So, what's in store for us next week, Jason?
1: So next week, um, well, let me let me throw this over to Josh. Josh, uh, we we got a little bit of um, I don't want to call it pushback, but your bride shared a little bit of discomfort from this past Sunday. What was the she discomfort? Did. She was
2: seeking clarification. Yeah, I think she, she was what was? Well, she got insider info, right? So no, she goes, hey, so. Jason told us a lot of what the gospel was, that it was political, that it already had a meeting, but what is the gospel? He didn't tell us that. He just left us hanging. Like, what is the gospel? That's what she wanted to know. And I was like, well, really cool. It's actually on the front page of your book. So it is in there. It is in there. But yes, we haven't talked about that. And I think it's intentional, right? We've that intentionally is. not yes. talked about it yet. Yeah. And why is that?
1: Because we're gonna hit it this coming week so uh, as you go verses eight through 16 um, you you get to hear Paul just getting so excited when he describes the gospel uh, of Jesus he said look in verse nine, it says, God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son. He's gonna preach the gospel of his son. Verse 14 says, I am obligated. Verse 15 says, I am so eager to preach the gospel. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So he's eager, he is uh, obligated, and he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. And so this week in the midst of those um, uh, those phrases that Paul uses When talking about the gospel, we are going to flesh out exactly what the gospel is. And what does he mean when he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel that he's talking about? We're going to hit that this week.
0: And the exciting thing about that is is throughout the course of the rest of this study, we will keep coming back to this concept because Paul keeps nailing this concept of the gospel for everyone, So yep. that's what I'm excited about, having a reference point to keep circling back to. Every time you hear the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, you know exactly what we're talking about. Yep.
1: So to okay. Josh's point, that's why we put it in the front of the book. Yep. So make sure you bring your book. We threw a few little lines in there, but we're going to add to it this week. So you can actually take notes on that inside cover of your book this week uh, to bring even more clarity of what we're talking about when we talk about the gospel.
0: Yep, 100%. All right, guys, thanks. We'll see you again next time. Well, I hope that teaser has you anticipating this upcoming Sunday's message where we flesh out the question, what is the gospel? As always, if you're left with any questions after Sunday's message, I hope you can text them in to 928-910-QUAD. Again, that's 928 910 seven, eight, two, three, as we'd love to answer those questions right here on the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We hope you have a great rest of your week and can't wait to see you again soon.